Hello and welcome to Never Waste a Good Hysterectomy, the podcast for all brave women who have had hysterectomies, are about to have one, or are considering the options. My name is Melani Favut, author of Never Waste a Good Hysterectomy. In this episode, we ask, where did my pelvic floor go? But before we go on, please may I remind you that this podcast is intended for information purposes only and must, of course, never replace medical intervention. If you are worried or something just doesn't feel right, please contact your medical provider immediately. My guest today is the lovely Lauren Ellis. And Lauren is a physiotherapist and a pelvic floor expert with a passion for supporting women. And a very impressive bio, Lauren says something that really touched me. She says what drives her is the belief that every woman deserves love, support, and guidance when going through a difficult time like a birth or a hysterectomy. I really love that. And I know, sadly, that the vast majority of women miss that after their operations. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you, Melani. So the day before my surgery, the specialist said to me almost casually, yeah, don't worry, I'll anchor your bladder well. So as long as you do your pelvic floor exercises afterwards, you shouldn't have any more problems than other women as they grow older. Up to that point, I didn't even think about it, but boy, then I panicked because then suddenly this became an issue. And it seems to me that pelvic floor and bladder issues are some of the biggest concerns and problems women have after the hysterectomies. So I thought before we go into why it is such an issue, maybe let's just start at the basics. What is the pelvic floor and where is it? Your pelvic floor is one of the most beautiful sets of muscles in your body, purely because you actually cannot physically see it compared to any other muscles in your body. If you were to sit beautifully down on a chair, you feel one sitting bone on the left, one sitting bone on the right. You rock a little bit forward, rock a little bit back towards that tailbone. That is where your pelvic floor is sitting. It's a beautiful bowl that is pretty much the bowl of your pelvis. It is there to support your organs. It is there to help through sexual function. It is there to contract to make sure you don't leak when you cough or you sneeze or you jump. It's there to fully relax when you need to wee or when you need to poo. And it's, it's such a special group of muscles because we as women hold about 80% of our trauma in our pelvic floor. Wow. 80%. Did you say that? 80%. That's extraordinary. Yep. So, so in terms of trauma, let's talk about what happens during hysterectomies. What happens to the pelvic floor? So depending on what type of hysterectomy you have, there are different types of hysterectomies, but ultimately you either having your uterus removed, then there's, you can have your uterus and your ovaries removed. They call it either a total hysterectomy where it is the uterus and the cervix are removed. A sub or a partial hysterectomy is when the uterus is removed, but the cervix is still left in place. Then you get a total hysterectomy with the bilateral ovary removals, and that's where the uterus, fallopian tubes, and the ovaries are removed. So you can almost imagine that when the space where all these beautiful organs are, when something gets removed from that, they creates a different space, and muscles, tissues, blood supply, nerves, all sort of change because now there is a new normal, and muscles that were potentially attaching around those organs now get pinned to another part of the body, well, part of the pelvis. And so now for a lot of women, things start feeling differently and a bit funny. I mean, a lot of women, for example, say it feels like something's going to fall out. 
through their vagina. Is that linked to the pelvic floor issue? Absolutely. So when an organ is removed, there is a space that is now created. The other organs will naturally move into that space, and that's not their normal space. For example, when a woman has a baby, there is so much pressure put down onto the pelvis with the weight of the baby through delivery, and everything is on stretch. After that baby is out, there is still that stretch for a period of time while the uterus still contracts back to somewhat of a new normal. Similar picture if you have a hysterectomy. Everything gets blown up, for example, when you are having the surgery because they need to make sure that they're cutting and removing the correct organs. By that, they put air into you, right? Correct. A very special type of air that almost blow you up quite a bit. And that results in quite a lot of abdominal pain post-surgery over and above the actual surgical sites and inside after removal. And that's when generally a lot of women start to struggle with constipation. Mm. And let's talk a little bit about that because it's one of the issues women talk about all the time on the hysterectomy support site. Let's start first with the constipation issue, major issue after the operations, and of course also fear that they might tear stitches and that kind of thing. So constipation is probably one of the most underlying pain or causing of pain that most women have, purely because it sits at the back part, your your anus and your rectum sits at the back part of your, your pelvis. And when it becomes full, it pushes a lot of pressure forward into the pelvis. It can cause a lot of back pain, a lot of coccyx pain. Now, you can imagine if you've had a surgery and you've removed something, that rectum now has more space to fill up and swell and have more poop dry out for a longer period of time. So it's not only the pain factor in terms of now sitting on the toilet after having surgery, the pressure systems get interrupted, the gut gets interrupted, and you almost, like you say, we women have a fear. They don't want to push. But I think the fun part of all of this is that you never want to push your poo out. You essentially want to be able to breathe your poo out without creating more intra-abdominal pressure that's going to put pressure down onto the pelvis. And of course, very important to not get constipated, but to use stool softeners during that period of time and to get your diet right as well, right? So depending on who your medical professional or your surgeon is, some have got some standard protocols where they would give you almost a clean out before you have the surgery. So to make sure that there's no fecal loading or backed up feces that is waiting to come out, which you know, it also does affect the gut health because you're essentially taking away all the natural happy bacteria that's sitting there that needs to regrow. Some will not do that. Some will give you some stool softeners before you go into surgery. Some will give you stool softeners the moment you come out and tell you keep taking this until your poo is beautifully like toothpaste and making a nice little bloop, not a kadonk in the toilet. Um <laughs> You know, it all depends on, on, on who your healthcare practitioner is and what their protocol is. I know, for example, one of the doctors that I work quite closely with, they do something like fibrogel straight away and they do some suppositories in terms of pain management. But with that suppository is a bit of an anti-inflammatory and a stool softener. And then I think one also needs to realize that there's a difference between a stool softener 
a stimulant as well. We don't want to be taking stimulants because the pelvic floor or the pelvis is not ready for another pressure in the pelvis directly after surgery. So just explain that again, because I know that will concern some women. So a stool softener is taken to soften the stool so that you can try and pull poo out. A stimulant, for example, like a suppository to make you poo immediately, creates an internal pressure with that suppository to force that feces to come out instantly. You know, you can have stool softeners that you can drink. You can have, you know, something like a Laxon, for example, which is over the counter. It's nice and sweet. Helps coming from the top end. You can have something like Movical, which is really safe to take. A lot of women, unfortunately, live on Movical for a long period of time. There's a little bit deeper to that. So if you are living on Movical every single day, I would highly suggest that you go and see a pelvic and women's health physio because we can potentially help you wean yourself off that and we look at your bowel habits, which we could try and correct a little bit, try and make you a little bit more fluent on the toilet. But when it comes to a stimulant, you don't want to be taking that on a regular basis because that creates a different internal pressure when you use it via the rectum. And sometimes if the pelvis is already unhappy, you do not want that pressure to build up even more, especially if things have moved after having a hysterectomy. It creates a further space that you can let the rectum swell up and then more poo can sort of accumulate in that area, we call it a bulge. And a very interesting fact, Manani, one bout of constipation can take up to one year to fully resolve. Wow. And of course, most women experience some form of constipation after the operations. Let's just move on then to the urine issue, which is such a big problem for women and such a fear comes with that and shame as well, of course. Many women leak or find it difficult to control their bladders after a hysterectomy. That's also partially related to the pelvic floor, right? Correct. So sometimes it can be related to having a catheter after the surgery. So sometimes there can be direct trauma when that catheter is removed. So that is one potential aspect. Two, they could potentially have a pelvic organ prolapse meaning they've taken out the uterus. And like I keep saying, you know, when you remove the uterus or the fallopian tubes or the cervix, you're now creating quite a big space where the organs previously couldn't move out. And that is the biggest thing post-hysterectomy is that the bladder then drops. You know, that that's you most women say, mm. oh, my bladder's dropped, or, you know, I can see it hanging out now, or I can no longer control my urine. And so we need to look at the bigger picture here. Is it that the bladder's moved into a space that it shouldn't be in the first place? Is it the pelvic floor muscles that are not able to contract when it needs to while your bladder is busy filling up? Or is there a problem with that relaxation around the urethra to allow the urine to come out? Is it a pressure system thing? So the pressure system thing, we talk about interabdominal pressure pushing down onto the pelvis and then the bladder is not, or the pelvic floor is not able to absorb that pressure. That is most likely when you cough or you sneeze or you jump. We refer to that as stress incontinence. Then you get the urinary or urge incontinence where women get that urge that they can't, they can't hold their wee. And if they don't go, they need to go now. That is generally, I say in a 
big word generally, associated with small day-to-day habits that now trick the bladder to wee when it shouldn't wee. For example, when you put a key in the door and all of a sudden, oh, if you were perfectly fine, you get to that door and now all of a sudden you need to wee and it's so burning and you feel like you're going to leak yourself and you can't even get your pants down and the wee starting to dripple down. Or, for example, if you wee in the swimming pool or every time you get into a bath, you know, you, you're sending those signals up to the brain to say every time that association happens, your body's going to respond by letting urine out regardless of how full your bladder is or not. But we have to say, so it is quite common for women to leak a little bit after hysterectomies. Am I right? But it shouldn't last for too long. It is quite common, but it's not normal. Okay. And I think that's the important thing to say, right? Without scaring women, it isn't meant to be like that. And one should do something about it. So so let's talk about what can be done. Let's maybe talk about before the operation. Are there things we can do to strengthen our pelvic floor so that it's already a little bit stronger? And then maybe you can move on after that. What happens then just after the operation? So there's plenty of things that you can do. So ultimately, whoever your healthcare professional is who's suggesting a hysterectomy for whatever reason, in the newer day and age and the new modern society, a pelvic and women's health physio should be a part of that team. You need to go into the surgery either addressing some of the underlying issues. So if there's an underlying issue of constipation, if there's an underlying issue of urinary incontinence or leaking, or pelvic pain, or anything along those lines, those issues need to be addressed before going into the surgery because they might be 10 times worse after the surgery. So to Mm -hmm. give yourself a bit of a self-awareness of what your pelvic area is doing is very, very important. It doesn't mean that you can just do a whole bunch of Kegel exercises, which is the most big mythical thing under the sun, that your pelvic floor is going to be fine. Sometimes... The pelvic floor is so overactive that doing those Kegels is actually making the problem worse, which I think a lot of women don't always realize. They think, oh, I'm just doing these Kegels. I'm squeezing my bum and I'm good to go. But when you squeeze your bum, you're creating more internal pressure and you're not doing a pure pelvic floor contraction, which ultimately is making it worse. So going into the surgery, you want to be able to be fit, you know, fit for surgery. Think about running a marathon, you you want to do some training before you actually run that marathon. You don't want to rock up on the day and go, oh, oopsie, I now need to run 42Ks and I haven't done any training. So I always find prehab, so before surgery, is very important. Even if it's just learning how to sit on the toilet correctly to avoid that massive pressure, that massive pain, and that fear of pushing afterwards, that alone can make a big impact post-surgery. Post-surgery, depending on what was done and how much was moved around, the healthcare professional would say, right, day one, the catheter will be in, for example, take it to your advantage, drink as much fluid as you can, flush out your system, because when you're under anesthetic, your body also responds very differently. You most likely get pumped with a whole bunch of meds through your drip, and obviously the anesthetic on itself. Then once the catheter is removed, they most likely want you to get up and moving as soon as possible, but in a very safe manner. And also, once again, depending on which way they've done the hysterectomy. So you've either got the laparoscopic surgery, 
They could either go through a previous C-section or through the vagina itself. There's different parts of those bodies, tissues, muscles have been completely disrupted. So you need to be able to cough effectively after having a surgery, but you need to know how to cough. You need to have the correct support. You need to know how to get in and out of the bed safely without creating more pressure on the tummy or down onto the pelvis. You need to walk up and down stairs. And most importantly, most doctors will not discharge you until you're either farting or you've made a small stool. So let's just take that a little bit one by one. In terms of the pre-operation, prehab, I love that. I love that. And I wish I had known about that. The prehab, first of all, we have to acknowledge that not all women get the time to do that. So in my case, the hysterectomy was done two days after I saw the specialist. So there was no time. But for women who do have time, and I don't want to scare them by thinking that they can make anything worse, what would you suggest they do? Definitely try and see a public and women's health physio. That would be the one thing. But also, I think, Milani, it also depends on why you're having the hysterectomy. Mm. So I think that's also a big factor. You know, we can't just say prehab is needed for every single person. It's a nice to have. But if this hysterectomy is happening due to a severe medical condition, for example, massive bleeding or life-threatening or for whatever other reason, there is no time. If there is an underlying cancer, for example, then those tissues and those structures within the pelvis are going through their own medical battle. So sometimes having physiotherapy might aggravate that. So it all depends on the circumstance why you're having a hysterectomy. But it is always a nice to have. Someone to teach you, for example, how to sit on the toilet correctly is a magical thing. We talk about the unicorn poo. It is divine. Someone showing you a little bit of abdominal release because, you know, if we've got tension or, or pain in the pelvis, we automatically tense our tummy up. So someone perhaps doing a little bit of abdominal release, showing you how to breathe correctly, allowing those ribs to expand, the tummy to expand, and essentially try and open the pelvis to allow it to let go of any tension. Those are all things that are very important, and especially when you start pelvic floor rehab as such. Okay, so let's talk about the rehab. Usually that can happen quite quickly, the easy steps, or am I wrong? If, say, for example, you go to the gynae or the surgeon and they go, right, surgery is booked for Friday, today is Tuesday. You could go see the physio the Wednesday or the Thursday before the surgery, and they will take whatever your situation is and they will summarize the most important parts. That is the most important part to the patient. I think that's always the other thing. I think us physios will sometimes have an idea of what we think is important, but the most important part is what does the patient want? Does the patient mm. want to learn how to breathe properly? When we address the breathing, are we addressing that there might be an emotional component of losing an organ? So that's massive on women. I think that's one of the biggest things in my practice. The afterthought, after these women have the surgery, they go, I was actually quite emotional about losing a part of my body, which mm. I ideally didn't think I would need to. Post-surgery, all the positives are amazing, and I'm so glad I did it. But then they're stuck with a sense of loss, which they didn't anticipate. And so we find out what they want. But I would say pretty much a standard pre-surgery, I want to call it a little schedule, would be teaching you how to breathe, because that is one way you need to 
sit on the toilet afterwards to help breathe your poo out. If you're not breathing correctly, you create more pressure in the tummy, which creates more pressure down in the pelvis. So the toileting position comes with that. And after that, depending on what other underlying discomforts or pain that we can address, I think that's what we would do. So after surgery, um, let's say you are now discharged from hospital and so on. How quickly should you start doing some pelvic floor exercises? And what are the things you shouldn't be doing? And I presume there shouldn't ever be severe pain in any way in all of this. Pain is never a good thing. Never, never, never a good thing. So your doctor will give you a set of guidelines, kind of related to a cesarean section too, because it's that big of a surgery. You want to slowly build up your walking tolerance day by day. Moving is important, but safely moving. You don't want to be putting any more pressure. I think you're not allowed to drive for up to four weeks as well, depending on how your surgery is, not just from a medical reason, but from a medical aid and an insurance point of view, they will not cover you if anything happens in the first four weeks. They've got quite a medical clause. And I don't think a lot of people know that. But post-surgery, you want to get your gut working as soon as possible. That is one of the systems. The moment that restarts, everything else slowly starts to put into place. You want to make sure your hydration is up. And with your hydration, obviously, eating the correct foods to help feed your gut. And then slowly but surely, you start gentle with breathing. You start slowly connecting. I think in the first 7 to 10 days, you're so tender and so sore you can't fathom to do anything pelvic floor related. So as long as you're moving in a safe way and you're protecting yourself without bracing and holding, every day will get a bit easier. You said earlier about coughing and sneezing. Don't you want to just tell us how to do that safely? And of course, and particularly if you've had abdominal surgery, how to protect your wound? Yes. So if you Regardless of what surgery you had, especially if it's abdominal surgery, I like to roll up a towel or take a small pillow and put it over that surgical site. When you cough, you're giving a gentle counter pressure. It is most recommended from my personal practice is that while you've still got the good drugs in you, so while you've still got an IV drip in, they're giving you pain meds, try and do that cough then already because that way you're telling your body it's okay. It's not danger because what sometimes happens is we go, <coughs> instead of doing a good <coughs> big cough, because when we do a big cough, those muscles and ligaments and tissues and everything that has been cut or moved or adjusted through your surgery gets that quick shock that they're like, oh, we can move without going into a fight, flight and freeze response. In terms of sneezing, once again, give the abdominals a little bit of counter pressure, but like to feel like you need to hold a fart when you sneeze. So that just you can create a beautiful little absorption into the pelvic floor without pushing down into the pelvis. And then the bending down. Now, of course, if you've had abdominal surgery, they would tell you to be very careful about bending down and so on. But once you can actually bend down, just take us through how you should be bending down. I want you to think of using everything in your legs. So going down into a small little lunge. If you've had your hysterectomy through your vaginal canal, going down into a squat is not something that you're going to be comfortable to do. You never just want to just bend down from the hips because that creates a more of a, 
a pressure system orientation and you can cause back pain. You can hurt yourself if you just bend from the hip. So everything needs to happen in the legs. Coming up is a very gentle single leg lunge if you're picking something up off the floor. But ultimately, you don't want to be doing any of that for the first two weeks. From about two weeks onwards, three weeks onwards, depending on what your doctor says, then you can slowly start doing that. I think, Balani, as you just said about bending, I think another very important thing to note is getting in and out of a car. That is sometimes very, very tricky. And women really, really struggle with that. Either the car is too low, it's too high. And if it's too high, they feel like they have to pull themselves up. And then when they hold themselves on the car holder thing, they feel like they're stretching or, or something's tearing inside. So it depends on either way. So if it's a higher car, potentially getting a small little step that you can use for the first couple of car rides, for example, if you have got quite a little bit of a lower car, you need to step and have your legs right against the opening of your car. So you are not standing parallel. You're almost standing with your bum against the seat. And you're going to squat down to sit down first. And you very gently going to lift and then put one foot in the car and gently put another foot in the car with a gentle little swivel, all doing this by supporting that wound. And of course, very important, if you get into a car, you have to have something between you and the seatbelt. So I know there are specific pillows for that, but if you can't afford it, a little pillow or something. Absolutely. That is so, so, so important. I call it the little belly buddy. So for those women, you know, that I've seen post-cesarean section, I, like I say, I roll up that towel and I put it in a pillowcase and I call it their belly buddies. And that belly buddy stays with them for the first week. If they need to cough, if they need to sneeze, if they need to sit down and get up, if they need to get in and out of bed, get in a car, get out of a car, it's just there because sometimes our hands are a bit hard um, and Mm. we don't realize how much pressure we're actually doing. But when we have that tactile response with a towel or a gentle object, we almost feel safer. Last question. When do women have to seek help. I mean, I know you would say as a matter of course, it's important to see a physiotherapist after, but not everybody can afford that kind of treatment or have access to that kind of treatment. But in terms of incontinence specifically, I I read somewhere that it takes women on average seven years since they become incontinent to go and see a pelvic floor expert or physiotherapist. When would you think it is after a hysterectomy quite crucial because it's not going to heal by itself? And then maybe you can also explain what it is that you do. Some women are a little bit nervous about what pelvic floor treatment actually involves. So depending if you're in the private sector or the government sector, in the government sector, we have two pelvic floor clinics that are run frequently that once you're in the system, it's pretty straightforward. Um, It runs over a five-week course, uh, which I'm very privileged to be a part of. And that is essentially free to an extent, I would say. Um, So even if private patients, for example, don't have funds for multiple sessions of physiotherapy, they can get into the government sector and make use of the clinic, for example. In a private sector, think about any other major sport surgery, for example. Every person that has a shoulder surgery will have a minimum of six weeks physiotherapy post-op in terms of rehab. So my biggest dying question is why, when women have major abdominal surgery for either a cesarean section or a hysterectomy, 
why is there no post-op physio rehab prescribed as a given? Depends on what are the issues that were before having the hysterectomy will determine how much rehab you need post-hysterectomy. When to see? So we need to figure out what are the other underlying issues here. Is it a pure stress incontinence that if you have a look at your daily lifestyle, why is that stress incontinence happening? And sometimes the GP will say to you, okay, maybe you should take this pill or that pill and maybe that stress incontinence will get a little bit better. But you want to catch it early. The moment you start leaking, for whatever reason, if it's on the way to the toilet, if it's all of a sudden, you know, when you're sitting down on a chair and you stand up and there's a little bit of dripples, if you're now standing in the checkers shopping line and you're pushing your trolley and someone opens up some water or a Coke and you feel like yourself, you know, you're starting to leak and you start pushing back and forth. I don't know if you've ever seen those slightly older ladies there's ladies standing there with the trolley and they're pushing it back and forth and their legs are crossed and then they're not crossed and then they're crossed and then they're not crossed. You know, I, I find it very, very interesting. I almost sometimes just want to go put my hand around them or, and give them a hug and go, if you are leaking, please, can you come? Once the leaking starts, that is your sort of your cue of I need to get help. You don't want that leaking to happen over a long period of time because the pelvic floor is just like any other set of muscles in your body. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. I think it's also very, very important to state though, when you have any type of hysterectomy, you are automatically be put in some form of menopause, which is quite a crazy thought because you think, okay, well, I'm taking an organ out and this organ is responsible for different parts of hormones that get secreted. So that is also something very important to know. And once you go into menopause, things naturally change. The lubrication inside the vagina changes, the laxity and the contractile of the muscles will also change. And that creates irritability, dryness, and all the other symptoms that come with menopause. Lauren, thank you very much. I think the takeaway for me is that many of these problems are not uncommon, but they can be treated and there's absolutely no reason uh, to suffer in silence. So thank you for that. My thanks also to Nicola Bruns for producing this podcast. And above all, thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch, please feel free to email me at hysterectomypodcast at gmail.com. I would really love to hear from you. I'm Alani Pavut. Until next time, stay strong and stay brave.